Go ahead and take a seat. And as you sit, say with me, Yahweh Malak. Yahweh Malak. You just spoke some Hebrew. Yeah. What that means is the covenant God is king. The promise-keeping, faithful Lord rules over all things. And that's an amazing truth. That's a theme throughout Psalms 93 through 99. And it's the basis of this series we're going through as we study book four of the Psalms. And we've called this Sovereign Kingdom. So together, as we study this, what we're doing is we're celebrating God's sovereign rule and reign over all things. And as we do that, as we bask in the majesty of God's rule, we mature, we grow. And when we believe that God is in control, when we believe that he cares for us, we can face anything that this world has to offer, knowing that our God is on his throne and that he is deeply concerned about us as his people. And so we're going to study Psalm 94. If you'd like a copy of God's word, raise your hand. We will get it to you so you can follow along. Tom and Andrea have, have Bibles they'll hand out to you. And in these Bibles, we're going to be on page 320. Otherwise, you can turn Psalm 94 right now. Last Sunday, we studied Psalm 93, and Devin, our church planting resident, he asked and answered this question. Is God in control? Is God in control? We can start to doubt that God knows what he's doing as we experience suffering and affliction in this world. But yes, the good news is that God is on his throne. He is sovereign. As Psalm 93 reminds us, he is mightier than the waves of the sea. And so this morning, we're going to ask a very similar question. Does God care? Does our God care? When life gets loud, when the noise around us makes it hard to hear from God, we start to doubt that he's concerned about us at all. And we can believe that he's left us or that he's not responding to our pain and our suffering and affliction as quickly as we would like. But as we'll see in this passage, God cares so much more about us than we tend to think. And he quiets our souls as he silences our enemies. And this is good news for us. Through faith, we can find quiet endurance amidst affliction and suffering and injustice as we wait for God's justice to be carried out in full. And so in other words, this morning we're going to be reminded that God cares deeply for us as his people, even when it doesn't seem like it. So let's read Psalm 94 and let's see what the Lord has for us this morning. The words will be up on the screen if you'd like to follow along. The psalmist says, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their words, their arrogant words, and all evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? 
He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble, until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Verse 16. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold, and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. That is Psalm 94. That's the word of the Lord to us this morning. And think for a moment what life would have been like, what your day-to-day existence would have consisted of if you had lived at the time when these psalms were put together. I have this almost romantic view of what it would be like to live in the ancient Middle East, the quaint and quiet lifestyle that I think would have been present. There'd be no social media, there's no Fox News, no MSNBC, no HuffPo, no Drudge, no noise, is what I'm thinking. Twitter seems to be the primary way in which anybody communicates anything nowadays, and it's a steady stream of information washing over us. And so there's a lot of noise around us in our day and age. And I sometimes think that living back when these psalms were compiled, that life would have been much simpler or much quieter. I mean, sure, Israel was exiled, and they had been violently removed from the land that God had given them. And sure, they were without a king, a king that God had promised would be ruling over them. But how much more noise can we take as a society? But here's, here's where I get into a problem with that, because Israel had its own kind of noise. We'll see that in the first seven verses of Psalm 94. So look there now, if you would. The first point this morning is, trust God amidst the noise. Trust God amidst the noise. And so this psalm, Psalm 94, begins with this cry, with this plea to God for him to shine forth in his vengeance, for him to rise up and to judge the earth and to repay the proud for what they deserve. And because these things are repeated, this is an emphatic plea for God to express his justice, to actually, to actually carry out his punishment upon his enemies. And so this points to an important aspect of God's character that we don't always like to talk about, but it's very clear here that our God, our God is a God of vengeance. Not of revenge, but he is a God of vengeance. And so revenge, that's when we start to take matters into our own hands. But vengeance is when the one who has all authority punishes those who are 
his enemies, punishes the criminals, punishes the wicked. When, when the one with authority carries out his justice. Revenge is when we become the judge and the jury and the executioner. But vengeance is God's just punishment upon those who are opposed to him and who oppress his people. And so being that God is perfectly just, he hates injustice. He hates oppression. He hates when the strong hurt the weak. And so the psalmist, he is seeing this and he's crying out to God to take action for his justice to be expressed against those who are afflicting them and oppressing them unjustly. Because God's people are weak, God's people are powerless, and they are vulnerable, and they are not in a position to carry out justice. And so what can they do? They can only rely upon their God to express his justice in his timing. And so look at verses 3 through 7. This is where we start to see some of the noise that Israel is hearing. They see the wicked exulting. And so this is like loud rejoicing, like literally like dancing. The wicked are incredibly excited about the fact they're getting away with this. We see they are literally boiling over with arrogant words and boasting. They are crushing God's people. They are afflicting his heritage. They're afflicting and hurting those who God has purchased, whom he has chosen, whom he has redeemed. And they are killing and murdering the weak and the vulnerable and the fatherless. And then what do God's people hear in the midst of this? Look at verse 7. They're being taunted. They're being mocked. The Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. This covenantly faithful God that you talk about, this God who, who, the God of Jacob, who chose these people and redeemed these people and cared for these people, he doesn't even know. He doesn't care. That is this noise that Israel is hearing. And so they're waking up in the mornings and they're, they're checking their Twitter feed and they are seeing more and more of the wicked rejoicing. They're seeing more affliction, more, more uh, murder, more boasting that God doesn't know and that God doesn't care. Hashtag, your God is not faithful. That is their existence. That's what they are coming out of. And so imagine, imagine that despair that you would experience when all around you, all you saw was death, all you saw was evil, all you saw was oppression. When Remember, God had promised them land. He had promised them a place. God had promised them a king. And they had none of this. They were exiled. They had no land. They were under the rule of somebody else. They had no king. And they were being crushed. And they were being afflicted. That is the noise that Israel was hearing. And we see this too. All over the world, our brothers and our sisters are being crushed. They're being oppressed. They are being afflicted and murdered simply because they're God's people. Like Tej and our friends in Kathmandu. In America, being a Christian can open you up to mockery. Or when something terrible happens, we start to hear the chorus of people who are openly wondering, if, if this God that you talk about is so good, why would he let something so terrible happen? And for us, it might not be necessarily those big things that, that we come across that make us doubt God, but it might be the family member 
It might be the friend. It might be the coworker or the roommate who makes that offhand comment about your faith, who undermines your belief. It might be those friends that used to invite you out, but who no longer contact you. So we experience often relational deaths all around us simply because of our faith. It's when the people closest to us start to distance themselves from us because we believe in Jesus, because we are God's people. And so there's so many ways in which in this world we still experience injustice, oppression, affliction that comes simply because we are the people of God. And it's, it's this noise that rattles in our brains, it rattles in our hearts, and it keeps us from hearing God. It keeps us believing, from believing that our God truly does care, that he truly is concerned about even the smallest aspects of our experiences of suffering and affliction. God truly cares for us, even when it doesn't seem like it, but man, there are times when it really doesn't seem like it. So, what is that noise for you? What is this evidence that's being placed before you that God is not faithful, that God does not care? What false thoughts about our God come into your brain in the midst of your suffering and your pain? Or maybe another way to ask it is, where do you feel weak and vulnerable and exposed this morning? And I ask that because that's not a terrible place to be because, again, we saw in verse 1 and 2, when we see that we are weakened and we are vulnerable and we are not in a position to respond to the hurt and the pain and the suffering and the injustice that we face, all we can do is trust God amidst the noise. This puts us in a position where we cry out to him for his justice to be carried out. Even when all around us, all we hear is, "Our God is your God is not faithful. Even when we're distracted from the truth of his deep concern, It puts us in a position where we rely on him and we go to him and we cry out to him. And so we as a body, River City, we are encouraged through this passage to, in all things, entrust to God his perfect justice to be carried out in his perfect timing. Yahweh Malach, right? The covenant God is king. He is faithful to rise up in judgment and to shine forth in his vengeance to take out his punishment upon his enemies and upon those who oppress us. And so really, what that does, that gives us permission to say to God, why, Father, does it seem like you're not doing anything about this? I'm hurting, I am alone, I am rejected, and so do something about it. Rise up. Act. Carry out your perfect justice. We are free to cry out to God in these ways. But as we've said, oftentimes the loudest noise and the most painful distraction from God's caring heart can come from the people closest to us. It can come from our family, our friends, our coworkers, our roommates. So are we really asking God to carry out his perfect justice on those people? The people that we are closest to. Let's look at verses 8 through 11. Point two this morning, hear God's warning. Hear God's warning. 
And so I used to hate it when I was growing up when I'd be watching my favorite show and they would, they would cut away from the show in order to interrupt with a weather warning. I don't care that there's a tornado nearby. I'm more concerned about how the Fresh Prince is going to work through this situation with Carlton. It used to drive me nuts. Verses 8 through 11, this is God mercifully breaking through the noise, bringing a warning to his enemies, to those who are oppressing his people. And so the psalmist is literally breaking into their regularly scheduled programming to tell his enemies two things about themselves. They are the dullest of people and they are foolish. They are dull and they are foolish. He's telling them that they're getting this all wrong. It's not that God doesn't understand what his enemies are doing, as we saw in verse 7. The Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. It's not that the Lord doesn't understand what's going on. It's that his enemies do not understand what God is doing. The God who made ears, he hears. The God who invented eyes, he sees. The God of knowledge teaches knowledge. The God who disciplines the nations, he rebukes. And guess what? He knows your thoughts. He knows they are but a breath. Literally meaning they're futile. Your thoughts are meaningless and they are nothing in comparison with the vast knowledge and understanding of God. There is not one atom in the universe that he didn't create and craft and put in its place. He knows where they are. He knows where he wants them to be. There isn't one offhand comment that he does not hear and remember. There isn't anything that our God does not see and understand. And so it's not that God doesn't know what's going on. It's that his enemies do not know. His enemies do not understand. Psalm 139, verse 4, it says that God knows what we're going to say even before we say it. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so it's not that God fails to hear, and it's not that he fails to see, it's not that he doesn't understand, but his enemies, they fail to understand that God hears. They fail to understand that he sees. They're not getting it. And so, verses 8 through 11, what an incredible mercy of God. God is warning his enemies that he is fully aware of all that they do in opposition to him, and that he's fully aware of all the things that they do in the oppression of his people. And so if you've not trusted Christ today, it's not that God doesn't understand you, but it's that you don't understand God. And because God cannot let evil go unpunished, and because he loves his people, he will carry out his justice upon his enemies, because vengeance is his. And I hope that this freaks you out. If you're not sure where you're at with Jesus, I hope that that scares you because it certainly did to me in 2007 when I put my faith in Christ. Because I had nowhere else to go. I was standing naked and exposed before the God who knew everything about me. What was I going to do? And so verses 8 through 11, this is an incredible mercy of our God to warn his enemies prior to the full justice and vengeance that he's, he has prepared to be carried out.
And so I'm going to read a bit from Romans chapter 5. I'm just going to compress it down because it's absolutely amazing. If you're feeling conviction this morning, that's good. Because while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Through faith in Christ, you'll be saved from the wrath of God. Through faith in Christ, you will find peace with God. Through faith in Christ, you will rejoice in him rather than in the thought that you're getting away with everything. Trust in him, even today, even in these moments here, because the one who died for the ungodly, the one who died for his enemies, the one who took God's wrath about himself, offers you salvation and peace and quiet. So rather than believing God doesn't hear you or see you, take some time this morning to hear from God. And for us as God's people, do we take these warnings seriously? Does this understanding of God's complete knowledge of everything about us, about our friends, our family, does this spur us on to compassion? Does this spur us on to say, I want to give you some really good news. I want to care for you. I want to point you to Christ. Does this give us hearts that desire to see other people join us as the people of God? This warning is an incredible mercy. And as those who have found faith in Christ, we get to share these things with people who don't know what they're doing in opposing God and oppressing us and those offhand comments and the distancing of themselves from us because of our faith. We have an opportunity to warn them while they still have a chance. And so let's do that. Point three this morning gives us actually a means by which we can do this. Verses 12 through 15, it shows that our God, he gives peace and he gives quiet to those whom he has saved as he teaches us, as he disciplines us, as he makes us more like his son. So point three this morning, hear God's teaching. Hear God's teaching from verses 12 through 15. And so what would it be like if we were sitting there watching our favorite show and there was breaking news, but this time it was just something good? Normally, news stations will break into live television or a show to alert us to something that bad that's taken place or something that's about to happen, like the weather. But what if somebody just broke into your show and said, hey, big guy, everything's okay. Get back to it. Back to your regular scheduled programming. Wouldn't that be nice? That's what our God is doing here. Look at verse 12 through 15 again. That's where we're seeing God breaking through. He's cutting through the noise of all the affliction and all the suffering and all the injustice and all the oppression. He breaks through that in his grace to discipline and to teach us out of his law. And so verse 12 is painting this picture of a faithful king who lovingly disciplines and teaches his citizens, literally molding them, disciplining them, teaching teaching them how to live, how he has designed them to live. And so even in the midst of affliction and oppression, this God, this faithful king, continues to shape and to mold his people. He continues to teach his word and teach the truths that we study in our Bibles. And as we await God's perfect justice to be carried out one day, verse 13 shows us that this God, he gives us rest 
from days of trouble. Our God cuts through the noise, through all the affliction, the oppression, the suffering, the injustice. He cuts through the noise to discipline us and to teach us and to give us rest from days of trouble. The root word for rest here means to be quieted or to be undisturbed. So God's discipline and his teaching is meant to give rest. It's meant to give peace and quiet amidst days of trouble. And so this doesn't mean that we're not going to experience trouble or hardship or pain or injustice, but rather our faithful God, he cuts through the noise. And when we hear God's law, what do we see? We see a God who is incredibly faithful, who delivers his people from slavery, who fulfills every single promise that he makes to them. And he is cutting through the noise that says our God is not faithful, that he doesn't know what we're going through, that he doesn't care, and he reminds us that our God has a perfect track record of caring and loving, caring for and loving his people. And so in his grace, blessed is the man, in his grace, God calms us and he quiets our hearts. And he does this by teaching us what he wants us to know about himself. And what is that? What does he want us to know? What is he teaching us? Look at the next two verses. Because our God is faithful, the psalmist says, he will not forsake his people. He will not abandon us. His justice will return. He will carry out his vengeance against his enemies and against our oppressors. So our God, he will not let us go. He will not detach himself from us. He will not abandon nor forsaken us. Will forsake us. And so I have this picture in my mind of a child in a mall or in an airport, and they've got, maybe it's a backpack on, but that backpack has a leash attached to it, and the parents are literally reining them in as they walk around. I used to mock those things, um, but now I think they're actually pretty worthwhile. We've got a, a little bear backpack, and our kids didn't know that it actually had a leash attached to it. And so I have this image in my head that our God does not let us go. He does not detach himself from us because he is faithful. And so in the midst of that noise, in the midst of those doubts, in the midst of all that stuff that wants to tell me that our God is not faithful, I know that I, Charlie, I am prone to running towards anything that I can find to bring comfort and consolation and peace. I'm looking for anything that will be an escape because I want to turn off my processor for a bit. I want to find something that I think will bring joy and peace to my heart. But because God is faithful, and because he knows what we're going through, and because he cares more than we think, he's not going to let me go. And so in that, not only is he holding on to us, our God is keeping us close. He doesn't let us run away. He is deeply concerned for us, even when it doesn't feel like it. And so that's what God's word is teaching us. That our father, he is a good dad. He is a good father who disciplines us, who teaches us, who will not abandon us, nor will he forsake us. He will keep us close, and he will discipline us when we run away. He'll bring us back, 
but he does that to remind us of his great and steadfast love for us. And so this means that in the midst of affliction and oppression and suffering and pain, we can hold on to hope that he will not let us go. We can trust that he will remain faithful, even when our faith wavers, even when we're doubting him, even when the noise is overwhelming us. And all we hear is your God is not faithful. He is faithful to hold on to us. A huge theme throughout the Psalms is God's teaching and its daily need for our lives. And so where is the noise in your life? Where are the distractions? Where are they louder than God's teaching? Where do you need to hear more from God? And what does that look like in your life, practically? Maybe it's diving into God's word more regularly, not just to check it off a list, but to say, Father, comfort me, console me, remind me of your faithfulness today. Because I'm going into this. I'm going into distraction and noise. I need something to hold on to that's not of this world, that's not of me. I need you. Maybe it's finding those opportunities to say, Lord, I'm going to remind myself of your faithfulness. And because he is faithful, what he does is he's going to cut through that noise, whether it's work or school or strife with family, whatever it might be, he's going to cut through that noise. And he's going to do what he needs to do to keep us close. Because he is faithful. Because he is holding fast to us. And so let us, in response to that, let us hold fast to him. That's point four this morning. Hold fast to God. Hold fast to God. Looking at verses 16 through 23. And so in the midst of this noise that Israel is experiencing, in the midst of the noise that casts doubt upon God's faithfulness, about God's concern, the psalmist asks these two initial questions in verse 16. Who's going to fight for me? Who's going to defend me? Because again, we are weak. We are vulnerable. We are exposed. We are not in a position to fight for ourselves. We are not in a position to defend ourselves. But instead, once more, this is the psalmist saying, where else can I go? Where else can I go for safety and security amidst the noise, amidst the affliction and the oppression? We entrust ourselves to this God who does not forsake us, nor does he let us go, no matter what we're going through, no matter what the oppression, the affliction, the suffering is for you. And this is incredibly important. Because if we're like the author of this psalm, we can confess with him in verses 17 and 18, if you want to look there, that we are in danger of believing lies about whether or not God cares. We are in danger of going into this land of silence. We are in danger of our feet slipping away. We are in danger of falling away, believing that God does not care doubting his faithfulness, doubting his character, that he will hold on to us and keep us close. The land of silence is similar to this idea of, of dying, of going to the place of the dead, a place where you do not hear the gracious, heartwarming words of our God. If the God had not been faithful, the psalmist confesses, then he would have fallen away into this land of silence. We hate silence. What if I didn't say anything up here for 30 seconds? How long would it take for you to start freaking out? Should we try? 
Thumbs up, Nate? Are we recording this one or the first service? Both? Might be some dead air. Who would just get up and walk out? We hate it. I'm not going to do it, Nate. Sorry. But in community group, when somebody asks a question and nobody says anything, like as a leader, that's like a terrifying moment. Like I have to like, okay, shut up. Don't talk, don't talk, don't talk. We don't like this silence. We don't like the awkwardness. And that was this danger that was facing the psalmist. He can now see that's what he was in the pit of falling into, this belief that God doesn't care, the land of silence, being apart from this gracious teaching of God, apart from his loving, kind words that, as we see, console and comfort. What we do see is that the psalmist knew that they were prone to wandering and falling and slipping. But what is also there in verse 18, it was God's steadfast love, his faithfulness that kept him from slipping. His said, we're going to sing it, next song. It was God's covenant faithfulness that, that held him up, that kept his foot from slipping. Yahweh Malak. He is a good king who cares for his people and who holds them up, keeps their feet from slipping because of his steadfast love. And then we have verse 19. When the cares of my heart are many, when the noise is getting really, really loud that you don't care, your consolations cheer my soul. Isn't that great? In the midst of the noise, in his faithfulness, our God cuts through all this distracting us from his faithful goodness, and he quiets our souls. He comforts his people. So the majestic king and ruler of the universe, the sovereign king who knows each and every atom in the universe, he knows and he cares And he is concerned for every aspect of the affliction and the suffering and the difficulty that we go through because we're God's people. He desires to comfort us and to care for us. The same God who rebukes the nations, he gathers up his children in his arms and he comforts them amidst our pain. Isaiah chapter 40 says, Behold, this first part is like, the bigness and glory and majesty of God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. That is our God. It keeps going. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And gently lead those that are with young. What kind of God does that? What kind of king and ruler does that? Only our God. Only Yahweh Malak, the faithful king. Amidst injustice, affliction, oppression, the offhand comments, the friends who are no longer your friends, the Twitter feed of relational deaths that go through your brain, all the noise that we face Our God cuts through that. He cares. He is concerned for your heart and he desires to console you and to comfort you in his love. 
The God who made all things, he cheers our souls. He consoles our hearts. But how? How do we actually experience this comfort and this consolation? First, we know that in his faithfulness, God has given all of his children his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, uh, in Greek, the paraclete, the comforter, the consoler of the saints. And he does this inner work of reminding us that God will not abandon us, nor will he forsake us. And he's proof. He dwells within the believer. He is literally with you 24-7 at all times. That is proof that he will not abandon you nor forsake you. And it's the Spirit's job, the Spirit's job to point us to Christ because he is the one who has made all this possible. And so look at verse 21. The wicked rulers from the verse before, they band together against the life of the righteous. They condemn the innocent to death. So did you know that that's exactly what happened to Jesus? He was completely innocent in every way of what he was accused of. He never sinned. But all of his life, he always did what was pleasing to his father. King Herod, the Jewish ruler of the time, he did not do his job and free this innocent man from condemnation. The religious leaders of Israel, they were there crying out, crucify him, crucify him. They were yelling it out, and they were yelling it out to this guy Pontius Pilate who is the Roman governor of the area. And again, instead of freeing this innocent man, condemned him to death. And Isaiah 53 says that in Jesus' death, he was stricken, he was smitten by God, and he was afflicted. And he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace. It was there on the cross that the mighty hand of God and his justice and the, the kind shepherd that he is came together to pour out God's wrath on Jesus so that we could find rest, so that we could be brought in. He is the good king, the kind and compassionate sovereign ruler who died so that his people could be comforted, so that we could be consoled so that we could be cheered in our hearts. Jesus is the king who heard the noise of the crowds who were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus heard that noise. But yet, he's the king who submitted himself to death so that his people could have life. And so, does God care? The cross shows us that God cares far more than we tend to believe. And so if we ever doubt his great concern for us as his people, we look to the cross. We remember what happened so that we could find life, we could find rest, we could find peace. And that, right there, is how God consoles us. How he quiets our hearts. How he cheers our souls. The cross of Christ is the proof that God will go to that length to ensure that we will never be forsaken, nor will we be abandoned. And so through faith in Christ, we are no longer enemies of God, 
though we are oppressed and we are afflicted by his enemies. But trusting in Christ means that the faithful king, Yahweh Malak, has now become our stronghold. Beard, sorry. And he's become our stronghold and the rock of our refuge, so says verse 22. So in Christ, though we are weak and vulnerable, though we are exposed, we are safe. We are secure. We can find the strength that we need to endure this opposition, to endure the affliction, to endure that injustice that we face because we're the people of God. And now, Jesus continues in his grace to comfort and to console us by his Spirit. He cares for us, and he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. And so do we doubt if God cares? We remember that Jesus Christ is the king. Who cares? And so what provides you consolation? Where do you go for comfort and for peace amidst strife? Where do you go for rest amidst suffering? Israel had rejected God, and they sought protection and rest elsewhere. And that's what happens when life gets loud. And God, in his mercy, disciplined them and brought them back to show off the depth of his faithfulness. And if God cuts through the noise of this life, if he, if he quiets our souls, if he comforts our hearts, he's going to do so through a couple different means. He's going to do so through his word, that reminds us of his covenant faithfulness. He's going to do it through his spirit who indwells us, who points us to Christ, who has earned our salvation, who has died so we could have rest. He's going to do it through the people of God. He's going to do it when you study his word. He's going to do it when you share with other people your heart and your concern and your strife and your struggle. He cheers your soul by singing songs like we're going to do in just a few moments. He cuts through all the noise, through these just regular things that we would consider normal rhythms of discipleship. He cuts through the noise through these practices that gives us comfort and peace and quiet to our souls. And in all this, we're waiting for him to come back. Ooh, amen, that's going to be a great day, right? And we can trust that at that time, at the right time, God's going to carry out his vengeance, his perfect justice upon his enemies, upon those who oppose him and who oppress his people. Look at verse 23. God promises here to wipe out the evil for their wickedness, to destroy them. The root word here actually is to silence them. As God quiets our hearts as he cuts through the noise and cheers our souls, he promises one day to silence his enemies. So there will be a day, there will be a day when there is, there's no more noise. There's no more distractions. There's no more doubt that our God cares because this is what Israel always wanted but didn't have. We will be with him. We will be in the presence of God himself. We're going to see him as he is, and we will have full and complete rest from our sin, from God's enemies, and we will bask in the presence 
of our Savior. Whew. What a day that will be. Will be. So for now, let's not be silent. Let's cut through the noise together. Let's take these amazing truths of God's faithful covenant love for his people. And let's use them to encourage and to comfort one another. Let's use them to build one another up. Let's talk about it this week in our community groups. What is the noise that distracts you from God's covenant faithfulness, from the truth that he deeply cares for us as his people? Let's open up God's word. Let's hear from him. And let's ask him in his mercy and in his faithfulness to quiet our hearts and to cheer our souls together. Amen. Let's pray.